for another episode this is connecticut's most controversial podcast this is the domino effect i go by the name of domino and as unusually i am not without a co-host today shout out to if that for hold down the fort you know miss you baby but because i am without a co-host does not mean i am without a guest sitting here in lounge studios right now in nyc came all this way to see my homie my man uh see let's run down his stats he's a writer he's written for you know, Yahoo, uh, the Thrillers, Forbes list, Pigeon and Planes, the list goes on and on. He's now a, a senior staff writer at Complex. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Sean Sotero. Hey, 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 Dominic, how's it going? Good, how you doing? Good, man. I, uh, I made the grand sacrifice and walked four whole blocks four from the Complex blocks. office to get here. I appreciate, so hope you, appreciate you walking it. here for me, getting that little <laughs> bit of exercise. But how's your day going? Everything's good? Day's going good. Day's going good. It is, you know, as we're recording this, it is... Uh, getting towards the middle end of Kanye week. It feels like it's lasted a hundred years. So mm. uh, has it been two days or, or, you know, a century? I, I really feels don't know. like a month feel. Yeah. It feels like a long time, but we definitely going to talk about that yeah. for, for, for a little bit. Then we're going to get into your business, but I appreciate you for being here. So, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, wherever the fuck you get your podcast. We are there. Domino effect podcast at gmail.com. For any of your comments, questions, or concerns, if you want your question answered in the what segment, you can reach us there. Domino effect podcast at gmail.com. Now, Usually yeah, when I come, crazy questions too. I heard some in the in the other episode there. Yeah, you know we get a lot of relationship questions. We get, you know, it's mainly relationship questions. We try to help people out. Uh, I don't think we do. I think we just, you know, put our own little twist on and come up with our own scenarios. I don't know if we help anybody's relationship. Like people may be divorced or whatever the case may be, <laughs> but don't write into my fucking show. Go talk to a therapist <laughs> or something. I don't know. But um. Usually when I come out here to New York, you know, usually I have a guest, you know, we just get straight to their business. We don't really talk about any topics, but I would be remiss if I didn't get your thoughts and opinions about this Kanye shit right now. Who? Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. West. Jesus. The Louis Vuitton Don. Now, uh, what, I don't want to just straight out ask you what, what your opinion is, but if he was a guest on... The Cypher Podcast. I forgot to mention that in the beginning. He is the host of the Cypher Podcast. Um, if he was a guest on your podcast, what would be the first question you would ask him right now? Wow. Uh, that is that is an insanely tough one. God, I have to think about this for a second. Because uh, the idea of talking to him has never, for me, been on the table in a, in a realistic way. Mm. So it's kind of hard to imagine, and especially now with him kind of blowing up everything over the past two days. Mm. I think it would be just something about do you understand that Donald Trump has you know what or what do you think about yes. what do you know about Donald Trump's record on race relations mm. what do you know about it what do you, what do you think his record is and just just to hear that because to me it seems like he could not be saying the things he's saying and have any idea about Trump's 40-odd-year demonstrable record mm. of racism. Not even to get into all the other stuff right, right. That, that he has done, but demonstrable record of, of anti-black racism. Mm. So I guess I would want to tease out if he is aware of that at all to start. Now, do you think that this is an obvious troll because he has an album coming out, he has something to promote, or do you think that this is the Kanye that we've been waiting for and that we haven't seen that's been behind his veil for the last maybe what? 10, 15 years? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's somewhere in between. I think this is who he is. Mm. Uh, I think that somewhere in the beginnings of the return to Twitter and recording music and so forth, there may have been a plan of, I am going to do some stuff that will culminate in the release of an album, but I think we are way past that. Um, I kind of agree, but I kind of don't. Mm -hmm. Now... 
Um, ever since he's been on Twitter, I follow most of his tweets, not exactly all of them because he tweets too damn much for me. So um, I've listened, I've, I've watched the, uh, the interview that, that he did with Charlemagne. Um, you watched that whole thing? I watched that whole thing. I watched it twice, actually. Um, I saw the things that he did at TMZ. I saw the things with Van, and I don't think this is out of the realm of something that Kanye, of something that Kanye would do. I think this is what we've been seeing is just just this build up with the same person that makes a bold statement on national TV live and says that George Bush doesn't care about black people. That'll interrupt America's sweetheart on stage, accepting an award and say, I got something to say, but you don't deserve this award. I somewhat understand what he's doing. I'm not saying I agree. I, I understand his logic in a lot of things that he says. And I've seen a lot of posts where like, why are we advocating for this coon? Why are we, you know, trying to make sense of, of all this shit that he's tweeting or he's saying when he's clearly, you know, mentally unstable or whatever the case may be. I just think that, you know, because in, in, in the interview that he, that he did with Charlemagne, he just said, he, he said not verbatim, but he said something to the effect of, um, like he loves information, he loves to learn and stuff like that. And I think him being around that Kardashian engine has taught him a lot about promotion because a lot of shit doesn't happen until they have a show to promote. A lot of stuff doesn't happen until they want to be in the tabloids because that whole Kylie pregnancy, they hit that until they wanted it to be known. I think Kanye is just playing the game the way he knows how to play, the way he has come accustomed to playing or seen it being played. I don't know if it's, you know, necessarily how he's been feeling all these years where he, you know, gives us the college dropout and graduation and all these great albums. Then all of a sudden you're just a, you know, you're a, Uncle Tom, you're a coon, you're, you're this, that, and the third. I don't actually believe this is, I don't I don't believe this is him. I, I feel like th this is all a troll. I feel like at some point he's going to do something something else that's weird. Like he's going to change his name to like something like Prince did, like a symbol. I want you to call me this. Like I don't I don't know what. So so is your position he doesn't mean what he's been saying? I don't, I, I don't know Kanye personally, obviously, but I don't think he's, he means what he says. I think it makes sense in his head. And for him to tweet that and say that doesn't make sense to everyone else because they don't obviously know what's, in, what's going on in Kanye's head. It makes sense to him saying that slavery is a choice. Now, to the, to the black person in America, you say, what the fuck is he talking about? But in Kanye's head, I think he would mean like it, 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 it's a choice where it's either like endure or die. Like you can either choose to endure slavery where it's like everything is going to be all right. We're going to get through this. Change will come. Or you can just choose to, you know, run away and you might get killed or you might disobey Master and you might die. I don't. I think what bugged me about that more than anything is that he didn't care to know. Countless people did do that in some mm. form or another. Right. Right. The, the history of slave revolts is extensive and well documented. Mm -hmm. And there was no acknowledgement that, of that at all. It was sort of another it was just kind of a, a willful ignorance of stuff mm -hmm. that has been kind of uh, sticking in my craw a little bit. That and the adoption of different right-wing talking points and pieces of vocabulary. Mm -hmm. I, I can't say whether that's intentional. As, as you said, I'm not in his head. Yeah. But the way he used the phrase silent majority in a right. tweet, mm -hmm. right, which is a Nixon-associated phrase. Mm -hmm. Uh, the way he put used that fake Harriet Tubman quote yesterday that a lot of right wingers <laughs> will use to justify slavery and make it sound like it wasn't that bad. Right. Um, there are a few other things that I'm I'm forgetting right now, but he's sort of adopting the way he said, "Oh, what about you know?" Way he did his own version of "What about Chicago?" in that Charlemagne interview. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, he is adopting talking points from people who want to do really bad stuff. Right. I can't say where it comes from uh but i don't feel like i'm in a position to say he doesn't mean it i feel like i have to treat this stuff as if he really thinks it and i feel like he's putting very dangerous things out to 27 million people every time he opens his mouth definitely now what's the temperature over at complex right now what's the what's the state of complex like like right now with all this kanye fiasco you know, all these think pieces, because you just wrote something, well, today is May 2nd that, that we're recording that. Ago. Yeah, so. Uh, when stuff had started, but not yet turned into the giant smoldering garbage fire that it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, the thing about that piece, actually, is kind of a funny thing, at least to me, is I spent the better part of a day and a half coming up with it, 
running it by everyone up to and including our editor-in-chief to make sure the tone was right, mm-hmm. that the dynamics of it were right. Honestly, that as a white person, I didn't come off trying to tell Kanye West, you are caring about issues affecting black people in the wrong way, says me. Like, mm. who the fuck am I to say that? Like, I don't, that's not something, that's nothing I would ever dare to say. Mm. So I didn't want to get anywhere near that. So I ran it by a whole bunch of people, came up with a what I thought was a pretty good thousand words or so that, uh, you know, made a, a pretty good coherent point about the kinds of people Kanye is aligning himself with and how dangerous that is, and mostly how he is presenting himself as a brave free thinker when, in fact, all he's doing is aligning himself with the most powerful person in the world, and that is, you know, not a risky thing to do at all. Right. In fact, it's the opposite. So took me a day and a half to get that together, get the tone right, run right. it by like four people, and then the, after I publish it, maybe that day or the next day, Janelle Monae goes on the radio and says, uh, I believe in free thinking, but not on the backs of oppressed people. And mm. I was like, that's my whole essay in one sentence. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Just took a black woman to say it, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, ble- you know, bless her. I think she's amazing. But Now, uh, the article that I was referring to was the one that you wrote on May 2nd, where it says six books Kanye should read before he tweets again. Sure. Now, uh, shoot, shoot, please. Now, one was you said you wanted him to read a book on Malcolm X. Um, and he's used quotes from Malcolm X, but just in, in Kanye terms, I guess. I was referring <laughs> specifically to, uh, in the blurb in the article, I was not referring to him mm-hmm. even saying, like, you know, I'm the by any genes necessary or whatever. Like, yeah, fi- he... that's that's well within, mm-hmm. you know, rap tradition that it was not at all referring to that. What it was was him saying that Malcolm X and Martin Luther King are yeah, old compared. icons that people can no longer relate to. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of struck me as being uh, yet another over-the-top Kanye West pronouncement. Mm. And so it was like, well, you know, Manning Marable's book obviously, you know, goes into a huge amount of depth about Malcolm and who he was and the way he thought and what he did and why he was important. Uh, that piece, I mean, the headline of that piece is funny and, it, and it's, you know, it's cute. and It's kind of meant to be attention-getting. What the piece is isn't so much like books that I wish Kanye West yeah, would yeah, read yeah, yeah. because I don't know what he has read or not. Right, it's right. more like here are things you can look at to kind of counteract some of the weird misinformation that Kanye has been helping to put out of late. Yeah, because uh, I think the start of the article says that Kanye, Kanye has famously said that he doesn't read or something right. like that. Back in 09 when he was actually promoting a book that he wrote. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He, he famously said he was a proud non-reader. Mm-hmm. Now, have you read the comments on this thing, on, on this article? Um, I looked at them earlier today. Sure. Shoot. Right. Okay, so one says, another white liberal telling a black man how to think. Sure, I saw that one. Absolutely. Now, as a white man in hip-hop, do you ever feel comfortable? Do I ever feel comfortable? Yeah. Never totally. Never totally. Never totally. Now, and, what I, you... and, I, and I think that that is a good thing, like objectively. Mm. I feel like, you know, race is something I should always thinking about and conscious of and do good rather than evil. Now, another comment says you and Kanye should actually read books about BP and BPD. I don't know what that stands for. Uh, To my understanding, BP. BPD is borderline personality disorder. BP might be the same thing. I'm not sure. It, it seems to be like a lot of comments about articles you write or opinions that you have. Because I, I remember there was something on Post Malone that you did that got a lot of backlash as well. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the, the Post one was interesting. Uh, sure. But shoot, please. I'm curious to hear where you're, where okay. you're going. Uh, I, I will say <laughs> as far as the, the borderline personality stuff, mm. uh, I do not feel like I can responsibly speculate on... Kanye's mental health. Now, one of these comments that I found it says, "You are not you. You are one of the worst journalists I've ever seen. You are not only a liber- liberal, sensitive hack, but you are racist." I don't know <laughs> which, how that. Which uh, which comment is that on? Which or which article is that on? Um, it was on it was on YouTube. Oh, uh, it was it was after an interview you did or something like that. Sure, uh, that is probably <laughs> by a disgruntled Post Malone fan. In okay, fact, I would <laughs> yeah. say almost certainly. Uh, I got called racist a lot. After that article, uh, specifically because I was saying that a white person making black music can act irresponsibly, and that's not great. I think we all feel like that, and coming from you, 
I think that would drive the point home more. I don't understand. Me personally, I don't understand why people would get upset at that specifically. That, but yeah, a lot of people took my post Malone article to mean that I was saying white people can't be in hip hop, which is ridiculous. Right, right. Uh, White people have been in hip-hop since the beginning in various forms. Whether I think they should be or not is completely irrelevant. I mm. obviously am in that world to an extent myself, so I think, you know. But I thought it was interesting that people read the piece to say that when, in fact, what I was saying was something more nuanced, mm. right? And specifically about Post Malone by kind of touching that third rail of whiteness and mm. saying that, a white person can't just do whatever he wants all the time. Mm. That set a lot of people off. Right. And people who hear this interview may be right. even more set off now. I don't know. They tend to search me out and find me in very unusual places. Man, so. they'll be all right. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned beginnings. So let's get off this subject. Let's put a button on this and let's talk about your beginnings, right? Sure. So you grew up in East Windsor. I did. New Jersey. Ah, it looks like someone someone else has done the research here. Yeah, I try, you know, yeah, a little yeah. bit. So, yes. Now, how was growing up in East Windsor? So, it was great. I mean, you know, it was a suburb. Basically, I grew up in a development called Twin Rivers that was, you know, largely expat people from Brooklyn, mm. uh, disproportionately Jewish, who kind of moved from New York City to start families. Mm. And so, I was kind of the first generation of children Growing up there it was a fairly new community when I was growing up. And yeah, it was great. Very, uh, it was close enough to New York City that, you know, we had the village voice at the convenience store down the street, mm -hmm. um, which was great. And, you know, I went into New York City very frequently because I had my dad worked there just across town from where I work now, ironically mm -hmm. enough. Okay. Uh, so it was close enough to get the influence of the big city, but still, you know, had lots of great things that sometimes the suburbs do okay so you grew up with your dad you you grew up with your mom i assume as well yeah yeah um siblings no siblings no siblings the only child you were spoiled mm -hmm. probably what's that spoiled i mean <laughs> i don't have anything to compare it to okay so uh i don't think so but uh, you know again like i don't compared to like to... friends in the neighborhood you had more than them or you were treated like mm, I, no not particularly i don't think but okay all right so what was your introduction into music into music. Wow. Yeah, so so what at, at what age would you say? I mean, hard to say, you know, like my my dad was always playing records around the house and singing and stuff. Um mm. when I was very young in elementary school, I was, you know, singing in school plays and things like this and singing in school play, okay. Yeah. And you know, took up instruments I think in towards the elementary the end of elementary school into middle school. I think I started playing guitar when I was maybe 11 or 12, somewhere around there. Mm. And so that was the thing that really sort of uh, sped everything up, let's say. Okay. Yeah. Now, what type of music was being played around the house? Uh, well, my dad was born in 44, so he was the perfect age for Elvis. So, Elvis, okay. Yeah, so a lot of like Elvis, Buddy Holly, Beatles, uh, you know, kind of classic rock-ish early classic rock let's the say, rolling stones yes yeah, stones okay. he had uh he had a couple stones records on vinyl which now i own mm -hmm. um yeah now your first concert was the beach boys yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, wow you really did find this you really yeah. did go deep huh yeah that's right <laughs> yeah i remember it being uh very loud mm -hmm. but i was also very young yeah i mean this would have been late 80s probably it's hard to you know can't remember an exact year but yeah, absolutely. Now, were you a fan of the Beach Boys, or was it just like a concert that your parents went like to and just drove you along? It was like a thing. Okay. Like my, I know, you know, my, you know, they, my dad liked them. He had the greatest hits record and things like that. So, okay. Uh, I don't think I was against it, but I don't believe, as I recall, it was my choice to go. I think I was too young to be making those kinds of decisions. Yeah, exactly, like all kids, right? You just yeah. go where they tell you, right? Yeah. Now, um, in your latter years, you went to school at Berkeley for music. I did. Okay, and you played the guitar, you played the bass and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, now, when did you get into actually, like, I guess, making music? When did that become your thing instead of just enjoying it? I mean, like I said, I started playing guitar when I was maybe like 11, 12, and, and uh, you know, took that pretty seriously. And, you know, was in bands with friends growing up and was in, you know, different bands and uh, ensembles and stuff in school. 
Uh, and then by the time I was in college, I started playing in, you know, actual bands that were trying to do, you know, mm. play in clubs and and uh, like record and do all that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah, like okay. like that one. Yes, named okay. after a, named after a line in a Simpsons episode. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you have a stage name? No, I did not. Did not. You just went by Sean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, let's see. Now, you went to Berkeley in Boston. I did. Now, and that's. Was, I guess, your introduction to hip-hop, or did it start in New Jersey? No, or it started, it, yeah. I mean, growing Wait, up, you know, Run DMC was, you know, Run DMC and the Beasties, you know, mid-80s when I was a kid. Like, mm. you know, I definitely remember, I think, a certain type of Run DMC song, like It's Tricky or whatever, is kind of perfect for the age I was. Exactly, like, it was kind of yeah. funny, and they had the little reversals and punchlines and stuff that were perfect for, you know, uh, eight-year-olds or whatever, um, mm. eight, nine-year-olds, so definitely was aware of like that era of you know run dmc fat boys beastie boys is kind of like early you know uh kind of mid mid to late 80s stuff mm. uh and so it is funny for me now to be friends with people like bill adler to you know meet people who were instrumental in marketing that stuff mm. you know to meet zay adams who was you know hanging out with the beasties back then and making their album covers and going to shows with them and things like designing their t-shirts and you know all that kind of stuff are the people who actually kind of helped that move and helped that reach you know way out 70 minutes away in suburban new jersey Mm -hmm. it's kind of wild for me to interact with the people who who helped that happen right uh and then you know a, a few years after that nwa and public enemy came out and those two were kind of absolutely touchstones for me mind-blowing in in very different ways Mm. so you were well out the house before the nwa era what's that were you were you out of your parents house no no okay so i was was in middle school at that time okay did they allow that music in your house i mean sure i don't Mm. think they they weren't you know i didn't blast it in their face every day although there is a funny there was a funny time after I'd been listening to them for a while where I tried to, I don't forget whether they asked or whether it was just my bright idea, but I remember hmm. playing Fuck the Police for my parents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on some like, hey, you made, this is what they're trying to say. It's, uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. of course, you know, went over like a lead balloon or whatever. Right, but, right. Yeah. As, as you might imagine, they were, they were not super excited. Do you have a top five? A top five. Uh, uh, rappers of all time. Or are you allowed because you work at... I mean, certain, <laughs> certain publications. I can, I can say it. I can say it. Uh, I have a lot of artists I love dearly. Okay. Uh, so let's say that. I have, you know, plenty who are in my upper echelon. Mm. Uh, just to name, let's name five. I'm not saying by any means these are my top five or they're in any kind of order, but for me personally, uh, Jay is on there. Okay. Uh, for reasons I can go into or not if you're, you know, uh, but Jay is on there. Uh, Jean Grey, who is is definitely on there mm. um boots riley from the coup uh is on there i would say black thought as one of the people who just is made my jaw drop more times than i can remember okay uh and i would probably i was thinking about this on the way over here i would put krs on there because okay. when i saw him live he was maybe the single greatest live performer as an MC that I've ever seen. Hmm. So I feel like that is is that and his catalog is is sort of worthy of inclusion to me. I don't hear Gene Gray <clears throat> in Black Thought in a lot of people's top anything. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's a shame cuz Gene Gray can really rap. Yeah, I mean she's wonderful. <laughs> I'm I'm biased because, you know, she's a, at at this point although she wasn't when I was originally became a giant fan of her she's a personal friend so i feel somewhat biased but like Mm. also i feel like she is an incredible rapper and polymath like i feel like it's kind of nothing right artistically she can't do if she decides she wants to do it yeah so we're gonna bounce all around so now jean gray she was your first guest on the cypher correct okay now you just interview her maybe what like two weeks ago or that episode came out yeah came, episode came out a couple weeks ago a couple yeah. weeks ago now what's the now how'd y'all build that chemistry in, in relationship so when i was working at rap genius uh there was a gene song on there and i forget if i i made some notes on it some annotations on it i mm. forget if i sent it to her or if she found it or something but there was some kind of recognition of like 
hey, most of this stuff is pretty good. Oh, and by the way, you got like one or two things wrong. Right, right, right. You yeah. You know, but it ended up, you know, getting in touch with her her team and, and who to this day are still uh, all great friends, fantastic people. And like this ended up with an in-person interview. Mm. And so she came to the office and we sat down and she, you know, A, by virtue of being a rapper and B, by virtue of being a woman who raps, mm. gets a lot of dumb questions. Right. Uh, a career's worth you know, <laughs> more than I could certainly handle. Uh, and so just being asked about her music and her writing and her lyrics really, I think, left an impression. And that kind of began us, you know, we stayed in touch after that interview. Okay. But it was really that it was really just, you know, asking her things that as far as I'm concerned, she should have been asked every day of her professional life. Right. Now, um, you mentioned rap genius now. Annotating lyrics, I guess. Now, the first question that you did that for was Hove for your ex or girlfriend at, at the time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you really, really uh, give me a taste of my own medicine. <laughs> yes, yes. As, as the story goes, uh, she was familiar with Jay, but not quite as obsessed as I was. Mm. Uh, and so when we got together... Uh, I had a day job where I had a lot of free time. I was on what a what a buddy of mine liked to call the free cell circuit, just a series of office jobs where you play computer games all day and quickly switch to a fake spreadsheet when right, right. walking by, right? Um, and so I had a lot of time to write down and make little footnotes on the lyrics to, I believe it was the Blueprint and the Black Album. Like I said, I had a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that was kind of a you know, very similar to what later became Rap Genius, which is why I had this shock of recognition when I, I stumbled across the site in the first place. Now, when does Rap Genius come about from you? Like, when do you start working there or being a part of that 2000, brand? Late 2009. Okay. Uh, I, looked at, I, I looked at this at some point. It was like November 2009 was the initial press mention that I saw that led me to discovering the website and reaching out to them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like late 2009, I would say, was kind of when I first entered that. Okay, and now why did you leave? What what year would you say you left? I left uh, late summer 2014. Uh, was there a particular reason? Was it just time to move on? or? There's not that much I can get into about it. Let's just, I mean, say it was time to move on. Okay. Uh, kind of different, you know, the company at that point had been around for a while and was trying to do a whole bunch of different things. Some of which I liked, some of which, you know, some of which I thought were great, some of which I thought were less great. Mm. And yeah. Now, let's talk about the cipher real quick. So you started the cipher uh, what year? I started in 2012. Uh, while I was at Rap Genius, it was for a while kind of part of their thing. Like, I, you know, I would record it at the office and it was originally named uh, Outside the Lines with Rap Genius. Mm -hmm. uh, the Outside the Lines came from, it was kind of a play on a, a long forgotten video series for rap genius it's called inside the lines it never really got off the ground okay so the the name quickly became right. like basically meaningless and yeah so i started it then and uh and then after i left genius as it was called when i left uh you know josh the producer and i took it uh independent and changed the name to the cypher and that's where we are okay now what about podcasting interests you in the beginning, because at, in 2012, this wasn't a medium that anybody was, was thinking about. I had this 45-minute interview with Jean Grey, and it was actually my, my partner's idea. She said, why don't you put this out as a podcast? And I said, a what? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I may have had a vague idea what, mm -hmm. what they were, but I certainly did not really know entirely what they were. So mm -hmm. uh, I asked a tech-savvy friend and got it set up. And then all of a sudden, I had a podcast. Okay. Yeah. Now, four years, no, wait, 2012, six years later, it's just, wow. wait, 237 episodes? Yeah, I guess about that. Yeah, we just released the 237 yesterday, as, as we're recording this, released it yesterday. Now, have you ever missed a week? Sure. Uh, there were times in the beginning when, uh, you know, an engineer would go MIA, or uh, there were, you know, there were other causes for breaks uh it has been tough balancing the show with different full-time jobs first at genius and and now at complex mm -hmm. so there were times when it was every other week there was times when it was every week 
there were times when we had to take breaks for various reasons, such as like when, you know, when I left Genius transitioning into the Cypher, there was a little break there. Mm -hmm. So it has been most weeks, but, you know, certainly there have been occasional breaks. Okay. Now, like I told you off mic, um, I told you how I came across your podcast. So I was going to do an interview with a with, with a rapper and how I uh, do my interviews or, or how I do my research is I'll Google their name or I'll go in the uh, podcast app on, on my iPhone and I'll type their name in and see what interviews they've done, try to catch little tidbits here and there, see how I can ask that question different or get something new out of them. So I was going to interview this rapper and I came across your podcast. And as I'm listening to him, I'm trying to catch little tidbits about, you know, things that he's saying, see how, how I can rephrase this question and maybe get more out of it. But I've, I found myself not taking any notes and just being like in awe of uh, how much research and how much time you put into doing your own research and how you form your own questions with these artists. Now, I heard in the episode that, you know, you say that it takes about 20 hours to yeah, put I mean, together that, that an episode? Was, sure. I mean, that's that's a that's rough... That's like research that's, and editing. That's, and... that's a rough estimate between myself and Josh and Rob, who who is the guy who does a lot of the, the editing. Mm-hmm. It completely varies. I will research until I run out of time, basically. Okay. Uh, you know, from the moment I confirm an interview, mm-hmm. uh, I am trying to take whatever time I can, listen to music look up interviews, do other kinds of research, and then the day before I will take my 10 or 20 or 40 pages <laughs> of notes and try and narrow them down into questions. Okay, now have you ever had an interview where you asked every question that you had on your list? or That happens sometimes. Uh, mm. Not, you know, not frequently, certainly, but it, it has happened, sure. Mm-hmm. Now, we also discussed off mic that on uh, your podcast, 237 episodes, you also had four guests that have been on that podcast that are no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be uh, Sean Price. That would be Combat Jack. That would be, uh, was it, T.C. Islam? T.C. Islam and, and uh, Benji Melendez of the Ghetto Brothers. Okay. Uh, if if I have forgotten anyone, by the way, Cypher fans, I, I apologize. But those are those are the ones I can think of offhand, certainly. Now, how does it feel? Now, do you ever go back and listen to these episodes that you had with these people after they're passing? I had to for the one with Reggie because we revamped it into a Combat Jack uh, tribute episode. You know, we went back and got people who had been on the Combat Jack show uh, and so forth to, to uh, and other people who knew him or had worked with him to, you know, leave little audio tributes to him and we, we interspersed them. Mm-hmm. So we had to go back and reformat that, add our, our audio footnotes and all that kind of stuff. To explain things that may have been obvious in 2012, but, you know, are not today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I did have to re-listen to that one. Was it hard? Just 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 knowing that he's no longer with us. It was very strange. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I Reggie was very friendly and very kind to me, uh, more than I could have asked for. Mm-hmm. Very supportive of, uh, of my work in all kinds of places mm-hmm. and you know i saw him out sometimes and we had meetings sometimes but mm-hmm. we were not close friends i would say okay. so his loss was very sad but i would not remotely put it in the level of the people who were you know in his family or worked with him every day or friends of mine who who you know worked with him on the management side and, mm-hmm. and thus talked to him all the time and so forth so i wouldn't you know, put my own reaction that way. But yeah, it was eerie. I mean, it was eerie and it was sad. And it was especially sad to hear him talk about his goals. You know, he wanted a late night show. That's one thing, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. He wanted to be, he wanted a late night show. He wanted a stern type show. Uh, And so to hear him and be like, damn, he'll never get his ultimate talk show goal. Mm -hmm. Right? That made me very sad. But I I think he he's made his impact that he'll never be forgotten by anyone that gets in front of a mic and does this podcast thing. Like I think he's influenced more people than he's actually realized. I don't think that everyone got the chance to tell him how much he actually meant to their career and things like that. But he'll definitely be missed. Absolutely, and and I mean one of one you know on on the professional side, one very sad thing is he had just done something that was incredible with, with Mogul with Gimli, yes, mm-hmm. incredible incredible show 
and who knows what could have happened if there what was could have a happened season next. two. That was my whole right? thing. Like he had so much that he wanted to do, and I was excited to how he was going to execute them, mm-hmm. and we'll just never get a chance to see that, and that yeah. kind of bums me out. As a, as a fan of a lot of podcasts, there's a lot of podcasts that have that have you know uh, stopped because of you know one problem or another, and it's just sad that we'll never get to you know know what could have been. Yeah. With, with with certain people. Yeah. With with Mogul, it was like the the what he made that story out of mm-hmm. had been accessible forever. You know, all of all of the people he interviewed are are around. I knew many of them. I'd interviewed many of them. Right. I certainly never thought to put it all together into anything nearly that that big or sweeping. Mm-hmm. You know, I I talked to even some of those people about Chris Lady before. Right. Mm. Uh, and had never occurred to me to do anything of, of that scope and of that scale and that careful research. Reggie was special, man. Yeah. Definitely be missed. Yeah. Now, what has podcasting taught you throughout these years when it either comes to interviewing, when it comes to, you know, I guess uh, doing more in-depth research when it comes to, you know, because when you do certain podcasts, you allow people inside your home uh, when you so a used lot to? Of, uh, it varies. We'll mm-hmm. record different places. A lot of times we'll record at uh, Crosstown Studios in Harlem. Uh, you know, so that is, you know, closer to where our in- our producer Josh is. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I will go to people's places where they're at, mm-hmm. uh, whether it is a studio or backstage uh, at a club or if they are in town just for a little while, a hotel room mm. or sometimes their house. I have had people uh, occasionally over to my own place. Sure, it, it varies. Okay. Now, do you have a dream interview, someone that you just have to interview before all this is over? Absolutely. Uh, do you have a top five with that or just like just one? <laughs> I, have, I have a couple. <laughs> there are a couple. I would say Doom is up there. He's not going to do an interview with anybody. Uh, yeah, well, he's telling. I mean. Shit. <laughs> um. I would say that Jay is up there. He does interviews, but very rarely. And mm-hmm. I feel like I could. You got to get on title. Ask him about <laughs> things that other other people have not. Yeah, apparently mm-hmm. I got to get on title. Exactly. Um, I feel somewhat odd saying this. Let me hold my tongue on that. There, there are. Come on, you got. There are plenty, plenty <laughs> of other people, who I would, just love to have on. Uh, G Rap has been close many times and has not happened. What happened with that? Was it just like he didn't show up or just timing timing. issues, you know, things like that. Uh, He is he is definitely on the list. Um, Yeah, I would. Yeah, there are there are plenty of people I would love to talk to Chuck D. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Yeah, there are a lot of people. Okay, so let's talk about Complex for a second now. How did that gig come about? Um, I didn't know. Even after I started working there, I wasn't sure for a while. I just didn't knew know. That they, I, they reached out to me out of the blue. Mm-hmm. The person who reached out to me didn't seem to fully understand why okay. she was reaching out. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I found out later that it was because uh, I had been skeptical of one of their stories mm-hmm. and had then, I was writing stuff for Forbes at the time, had written a story on that same topic that kind of got to the heart of the matter mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, and so I think that caught someone's, what happened was that caught someone's eye over there. Mm-hmm. That whole exchange of me saying like anyone who believes rapper X when he says Y mm-hmm. is nuts. That couldn't be true. And then following that up where I sort of got, you know, someone on record to say, you know, when rapper X says why it's not true at all, here's what he means, and he exaggerated a little bit, and so forth. So, like, that whole sequence of events caught someone's eye over at Complex. They reached out to me, and I started writing news, and that led eventually to the staff writing. Yeah, were you working at Forbes, or was it just freelance? I was a contributor over okay. there, which is a model they have. I was not on staff. Okay. Uh, I would you know not didn't go to the office except very rarely mm. uh i would contribute on the website they have a they have a contributor system okay now why why haven't you tried to implement like the cipher aspect into complex what they're doing with like the youtube and like the visual media that they're doing have you tried to pitch anything to them um i like that 
I have control over the cipher. Mm. Uh, well, not specifically the cipher, but just like any guess. content ideas. I have lots of ideas, you know, mm. for all kinds of things uh, that, you know, sometimes I mention at work and sometimes I don't. Right. You know, um, I love interviewing people. The thing I love particularly about the cipher is the control that I have over the guests over what's asked mm. that Josh and I have over the on the overall vision of the show. Mm -hmm. I like to think of it as something that is here for good. That is someone can hear our interview with the 45 King the day after we release it. Dope interview. They can hear it a year later. They can hear it in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years mm -hmm. and it will still be useful. Uh, that is what I'm aiming for. Okay. Yeah. Now, like I said in the beginning, you've, you know, uh, written some articles and done some things that, you know, the normal consumer doesn't really like and they have their comments about. Have you ever written an article that, you know, the musician had a problem with you after? Yeah. Let me, let me see if I can think of a good example of that. There have been times when I was writing news quickly mm. and people reacted uh possibly i think because i made a yeah it was because i made a mistake in a story that was quickly corrected but right. you know that someone involved with the label saw and said hey you mischaracterized this thing mm -hmm. so yes on on the news tip absolutely on the kind of breaking news tip when i was doing more of that Sure. It wasn't, you know, something that they had to come to the office like, hey, I, I want to see Sean right now. He, he, you know, he had, you know, this bullshit. It wasn't, wasn't no Ice Cube shit, right? I, I think by and large those days are over right. in, in rap media, mm -hmm. as far as I can tell. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, there people don't love everything, mm -hmm. sure. But, you know, a lot of times I think if people are upset, I often don't hear about it. Mm -hmm. Now, with the cypher, do you ever see that? Do you ever see a time where you'll stop doing it? I don't know. I don't know. I love it. Uh, I think it is. You do unique. 237 episodes. You got to love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's unique. Uh, there are still hundreds and hundreds of people mm -hmm. who I would love to have on the show, uh, both that I'm aware of and people, new people I'm discovering every day. Mm -hmm. There are whole regions that I feel are severely underrepresented. Okay. You know, I would love to do more stuff in with uh, Houston people. I'd love to do more stuff with West Coast people. I would love to, you know, spend a week in New Orleans interviewing mm. everyone I could or, you know, Chicago or whatever. So I feel like there's a lot of – because the show is located mm. in New York and because I've lived on the eastern seaboard my whole life, the show has a, a bit of an East Coast – bias in terms of guest selection mm. uh so i would love to balance that out with other regions mm. uh, i feel like i do a good job but it could always be better okay um maybe you know uh, anything's possible i still have intense passion for it and want to keep it going and you know there is an audience that wants to hear it uh but you know, I, I don't want to give a categorical, it will exist forever, and, you know, because who knows, any anything's possible. Do you think that you'll ever stray away from the hip-hop aspect, and maybe if you got, like, the Beach Boys one day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that you'll interview them I on mean, a cypher? We have bent that before uh, with Johnny Rotten. Mm -hmm. We kind of, if you squint a little bit, it, you know, right. <laughs> we did a song with Africa Bambata once. Right. You know, that one was a bit of a stretch uh, thematically. But it was an opportunity to speak to Johnny Rotten, and mm. how on earth could I turn that down? So that has happened before. Uh, to me, the show is about hip-hop culture. Mm -hmm. That can mean a lot of things. It has meant a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But I would like to keep it focused on that. I think if a show where I interview, you know, guitar players I like, you know, rock guitar players I like, or, you know, songwriters you know pop songwriters or rock songwriters i admire would not fit that would be a different mm. thing okay now um because your early i want to say music background was rooted in maybe more of like soft rock and rock like that and now you transfer into like this hip-hop medium um at any point have you ever been referred to as like a culture vulture or anything like that have i yes uh not to my face not to your face uh I will say Rap Genius as an entity mm -hmm. had a lot of stuff said about it. 
Okay. Uh, I was a very public facing member of that uh, business. Mm. So that may well have been transferred to me. I don't recall any instances directly. I know we were certainly as a business called, you know, carpetbaggers and all sorts of other things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was part of that business and again, a forward facing part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but have I been called that personally? I I'm not trying to make myself look good here. Like, yeah, I, no, don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone so said it to like Lior's face, but you know, that, that thing is flowing out there where it's like, you know, he is a culture vulture or, you know, maybe even like certain, certain black people, like we, we know you're not of the culture. You, you know, you just see the money grab. You just sign any young artist that'll, you know, put a dollar in your pocket. I, I, I think, you know, I think the part of it goes back to what you said of, are you comfortable and mm. like not being comfortable, trying to be aware of dynamics, trying to also not trying to be, open and respectful and i think just because most of the times i'm meeting uh people in the business artists or or culture makers or whatever mm. is in a situation or many times is in a situation where i'm sitting down with them and saying tell me about your work right uh so that tends to show people i think that i'm legitimately interested in what is going on mm. and thus maybe deflect some of that criticism i don't really know right uh sure people have said lots of bad stuff about me but i i don't you know i i wouldn't be surprised if if that had been floated around somewhere but i can't specifically recall okay yeah you how, how are we looking on time huh 15 more minutes or okay all right, now uh, let's get back into your actual m musicianship, you making music. Now, um, I saw a byline on one of your, um, maybe like a, a profile that said that you've recorded and toured with a lot of artists, a lot a lot that you know and some that you don't. Who are the artists that we don't know that we maybe should know? <laughs> I mean, I've done a lot of stuff, uh, you know, both in bands for the long term and mm. then when I was making a living as a musician, Mm. you know, playing with people and kind of one-off stuff mm. or whatever. I guess kind of the, the most notable, uh, some of the most notable people I've performed with, uh, the biggest one right off the bat would be uh, the Dresden Dolls mm. um, and Amanda Palmer. Okay. Uh, so the Dresden Dolls, like I've known them, both Amanda and Brian, for an eternity. I played on their first album. Um, yeah, and... Amanda performed with a couple times and and you know did some demo sessions for and such. Mm. So those are those are probably the highest profile you know biggest selling right. that I've done. Um, I played for a year in uh, the Lords of Brooklyn. Mm. Uh, did Warp Tour with them, which was an unbelievable amount of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, shouts to to Caves. What else? Oh, uh, I played for a long time. I played bass with Martin BC, who is better known as a record producer. Okay. Uh, he did stuff for Sonic Youth and the Swans. And as an engineer, he worked uh, on Herbie Hancock's record, Future Shock. Uh, wow. Yeah, he worked on Rocket. Okay. Uh, he worked on uh, Fab Five Freddy's Change the Beat. Hmm. Uh, so a bunch of early hip-hop and you know, experimental, uh, experimental stuff, helmet and all kinds of crazy things. So he has an extensive resume as an engineer and producer. And it was great working with him because he had amazing stories about 1980s New York. You know, every, every anecdote would start, you know, so me and Madonna and Basquiat are in the car. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> now, have you ever tried to rap at all? No, sir. Not even, no, sir. no, no, not a lyric, not a, not a bar. I know everybody got bars. Uh, Everybody no, got a few bars. You work at Complex. You tell me nothing's popped in your head. Nothing's no, came like no, not that, one. That is not <laughs> not anything that I DJing, break dance, nothing. You had to break dance at least. Eighties, come on. I mean, in the eighties, <laughs> it was inescapable. But exactly, um, you know, never seriously. Uh, I would never. No. Okay. Uh, you know, I was a musician for a long time, so like playing. You know, playing guitar, playing bass, that was my art form, that was my outlet, that was the way I kind of, like, thought about uh, express stuff artistically, I would say. Now, you still record music, right? 
I play sometimes, okay. uh, occasionally. I have a few people who I have worked with for years who occasionally will call me for stuff, not nearly as frequently as I used to. Okay, now what feels better to you? Is it actually performing on stage or the creation of the record in the studio? Um, they are very different, and they're very different kinds of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the studio thing for me is about like getting something right. You know, especially as a bass player, not only do you have to execute well, but it has to be a take where the drummer executes well, too. Right. Everyone has to be on the same right, record. Everyone yeah. has to get a, a performance that is at least usable with, you know, maybe the minor, most minor of corrections. Mm. Uh, you know, as, as your engineer, I'm sure, can tell you, drums are notoriously difficult to overdub because all the sounds are always ringing into each other, especially cymbals and things. So, so that is about you know, executing something right. I can do this. Can I play this, you know, with the, uh, in time with the right feel, you know, and get it so that I am happy with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Live performance is much more about like, you know, being in the moment and the sort of the chemistry of the whole act. And is it, you know, how is the audience reacting? And it's a much more uh, alive thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, being that you're a musician, do you? Oh, about to say, I thought something happened. Now, um, do you ever regret not like quote unquote making it big? Do you feel like everything happens for a reason? Like you're supposed to be at Complex right now. You're supposed to be in your position in life. I am very happy with where I ended up. Okay. Uh, I played music and taught music for a very very long time, and just at the point at which I was really starting to get burned out, mm-hmm. uh, other opportunities came up. Okay. So I, I consider myself very, very fortunate. You know, would I have loved to have made it big like some of my friends have? Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Great. That sounds, you know, in the abstract, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I also see what kind of lifestyle that leads to. And, you know, that's... Uh, With the cocaine and the women and the... No, I, <laughs> I, mean, I mean more the sort of perpetual, uh, perpetual traveling the kind of yeah the uh, sort of constant movement the touring and like the monotonous yeah, which, of pro- which i loved for a while on a small scale mm. you know even even on this the very small scale i was doing it mm. but I, I don't know i mean yeah in in the abstract that that sounds like it would be great but i know how difficult it is to get there i saw so many hundreds of players and bands you know in my in my time you know traveling and with different rock groups and the amount who made a sustainable living out of it, I mm. could probably count on two hands and have a few fingers left over. Mm, okay. Now, are your parents still with us? Yes. Okay, now, what do you think of your career choice? To the extent they understand it, they're supportive. Okay. You know, I think, Like, my son's a writer. <laughs> I think a, a magazine that's not a magazine anymore can be mm. a little difficult to grasp. You know, Complex stopped uh, publishing print, you know, very early in my tenure there. What was it, like 2000? No. It was yeah, it was fairly recently, maybe yeah, yeah. seventeen, something like that. Some. Sixteen, seventeen. So it was like I think I was there but still very early. Not so so yeah, saying like I'm in a magazine but it's not a magazine can get a little can get a little strange. But they, they have always been supportive, if mm. not always with a crazy grasp on the nuances of exactly what I do. Do you have a favorite interview? That's a real generic question, but uh, you have a I have so many memories attached to so many of them. Mm that you know it's really it's really hard to say i mean there are there are a ton i'm gonna cheat a little bit and look at the look at the cypher list here mm-hmm. real quick <laughs> got a lot to go through yeah i mean i think the yeah. first one with gene was very special mm-hmm. uh, because it set this whole thing off uh we were talking about the iced tea one i mm-hmm. think that was just going to his house very very uh, dope one you know Hanging out with him, meeting Coco, meeting the baby, mm-hmm. seeing the the Kembe Wiley painting in the hallway. Now, um, listening to the Ice T one specifically. Now, the first thing that you asked him was about the car, right? Yes. Now, did that, was that a mistake? Yeah, did, was yeah. Not not getting a joke. Yeah, basically. yeah. Now, yeah. now, did that make you feel like you were unprepared, and did, did that kind of put you on? I didn't <laughs> realize what happened. I didn't realize the full extent of what happened until right. later. I thought. Wait, I saw the video. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't get until after we got home that. So, so for context, there is an old video of Ice T where he's showing off his uh, Ferrari, I mm. believe, 
and he is jokingly saying that it's a pinto right. and that the leather <laughs> is fake and the sunroof is a bunch of bed sheets tied together. Uh, I was watching this as we pulled up into his driveway. I was watching it quickly. I was mm. not paying, paying full attention, and I don't really know anything about cars. Mm. All of those factors together means that I took him literally, and I asked him about his, you know, Pinto or whatever it was. Mm. And I thought, oh, cool, I'll ask him about a, his car. Right, and right, right. That'll be a small detail that I uncovered that mm. he'll really love. And he just sort of acted puzzled. Yeah, he was like, what the hell are you talking and about? And I was like, wait, did I, I watched yeah. that video, right? Like I was kind of, I was more puzzled than anything. Right, right. Yeah. And again, it wasn't until later, I think it was as we were leaving or midway through the interview or something that the mm. whole context popped up to me. And I was like, oh, was like, oh okay, yeah, was no, a joke. I, he was yeah. joking around. Right. Yeah. Now, do you have like uh, your worst interview? I, kn I know we we asked about the best, but do you have like off the top of your head, maybe like your worst interview? Maybe, you know, the guest wasn't forthcoming with, with information. Maybe you got some facts wrong. Um, hmm. They're all perfect. They're all wonderful. They're all perfect. Um, <laughs> I, I will say as far as best, uh, Josh always likes to mention the, the Dr. Dre one. That's the OMTV raps Dr. Dre. Yeah, and, yeah, and okay. And he's right because that was right after the election. And he was in everyone was in a terrible mood and he he was in such good humor and so funny and uh, and and so forthcoming that it really, you know, it kept stuff uh, really going. Gosh, I, I mean, they are all there were ones that were difficult. Mm. Uh, I would say, you know, wouldn't be going too far to say that Johnny Rotten, Notorious Punk Rocker, was a very difficult interview. As expected, yeah. That <laughs> that was, you know, not as much of a fun love fest as they can right. sometimes be. But the content that came out from it was great. Okay. Yeah, I thought that, that you know, again, what, what came out of it was phenomenal. So... So as far as one that was less fun to conduct, right. you know, we had a I had a couple of people in there taking pictures and stuff, and mm. he threw everyone out before the interview started. He was complaining about the temperature, you know, kind of, mm. and so so it was difficult. Everything behind the scenes, kind yeah, of. everything behind yeah, the scenes, yeah. But again, the the end result I thought was was really good. Now, if someone was to check your podcast out for the first time, what would be the episode that you want them to check out to get the feel for the show? Wow. Um, I think you would do well to start even with, I think our most recent episode actually with Fonte, mm -hmm. uh, is pretty representative in that it gets into what specifically makes him such a great lyricist. And it asks him to think about and dig into the process of like creating an album of some of the lyrical devices he uses of the ways he's changed how he thinks about rhyming over the years, the mm. kinds of things he prizes mm. um, and gets into the process of making the album. That's as good a place as any to start. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, you know, start there and then listen to everything before I, there, there are amazing ones. You know, I think the, the episode we did with crazy legs was mm -hmm. great. I mean, it, it is wild to me that, I can talk to the guy who invented the windmill. Yeah, right? that's that's one I got to check out. You can't talk to the guy who invented the novel or whatever. Exactly, right? yeah. Whoever <laughs> that is, right? But Or the whatever, you know, on point or something, mm. right? But you can talk to the person who invented the windmill. Like, that is that is completely wild. There are a lot. I think the 200th episode with Kevin Koval might be good because that's, mm. uh, that's a fun one where Kevin actually turned the tables on me. So you can find out if you're at all curious and not sick of hearing me talk yet. You can right. find out a little bit about me in that one. Um, yeah, there are a whole bunch. Faith Newman episode is great. Mm. Um, yeah, there's 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 a whole lot. But yeah, you can you can start with pretty much anyone, I think, and get a feel for what the show is like. So in in that respect, I think the Fonte one is is a good starting place. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's because of my age or just the music I've been consuming lately. But I'm really starting to get into like older rap mm -hmm. when it comes to like Hove and Fonte. I think Fonte. Oh, sorry, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, but <laughs> I, I absolutely have to recommend uh, episode 151, mm -hmm. uh, which is a bit different for us. It is with Allah B, uh, who is a very important part of the Nation of Gods and Earths. Mm. He actually runs the Allah School in Mecca, uh, okay, in Harlem. And so that is one that is very special because it is 
the history of the five percent nation or uh, the nation of gods and earths as they're called now excuse me mm. uh used to, formerly the five percent nation of islam uh the history of that organization it's the history of new york city it's the riots after mlk was killed it's mayor Lindsay. it's you know everything uh it's how the the gods and earths interacted with hip-hop and how that came about it's about you know Allah himself uh clarence 13x who started it what he was like Allah b actually knew him uh so that is a that is a really really special one that's one that i haven't heard any other mm. podcast do anything like that I, i'm really proud of that one yeah i just make sure that i mark that one down i'm gonna listen to that on my, my train ride home yeah now uh we're gonna wrap this up so what's 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 next for sean whether it be complex whether it be musicianship whether it be the cypher any other things you're working on what's what's next for you what's next for me i to keep doing what i'm doing get better at it to make the cypher a better show mm. to get more guests different kinds of guests uh and continue archiving the most important art form of the 20th and 21st centuries okay um for complex, you know, continue to write interesting stuff that hopefully enough people click on to keep me employed. You tired of writing about Kanye by now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this week, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Uh, don't let uh, you know, Shante. If you hear this, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll write something <laughs> tomorrow. I promise. Um, yeah, and you know, I would love to. I I. I have on and off thoughts about writing a book. There are plenty of people I know who mm. try to get me to do it. What exactly it would be, I change my mind on every week or so. That's the new wave, man. You gotta jump on that. But I would, I would love, I would love to do that. Mm. Uh, you know, some sort of, you know, hip hop related research intensive subject. I think uh, would be ideal. I don't want to give away the game right, by, right. by saying exactly. <laughs> The things I'm thinking about, but I, I will say I was reminded of that goal recently. Uh, I did a story that you can find on complex.com about uh, the case of Rakem Balagun, who's a, a guy in Dallas, uh, who actually the indictment against him just got dismissed today as mm. a recording. So uh, hopefully, you know, good things will come and he will be released. We'll see what happens. But about him and, and the Black Liberation Army and... I had a chance in that to talk to, to a co-founder of the organization Daughters of Asada. Mm. And she was like, Asada's autobiography was so important to me. And it helped me, you know, discover the world. It helped me make sense of the world. And it was just, and I'm not remotely saying that anything I write mm. would be in that class. But it was so mind-blowing to me that this book that was written in, I don't know, 87 or whenever that book came out, uh, that, you know, 20 years later, it would have such an impact on a on a young activist and i was like oh that that is what books do they are sort of the trail you know they are they are something you you leave behind for people to find and and help them make sense of things and that kind of reignited a somewhat dormant interest in me of, of maybe writing a book myself and just trying to sort of lay another brick in the history of the in in trying to uh archive the, the history of this culture now what would you call your book do you know i i have no idea no I mean, title it, yet it depends no. on the topic you know mm. I, I don't have any grand ideas yet okay yeah all right so sean where can they reach you on social media where can they read your articles where can they find the cipher everything great so you can find the cipher on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at The Cypher Show. That's Cypher with an I. Mm -hmm. uh, on the web at thecyphershow.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to all 237 episodes. A lot uh, of fucking episodes. Get yeah, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of episodes, but they're all, they're all worthwhile. Um, I guarantee there will be uh, every episode you listen to, you will, even if you don't know the guest, uh, by the end, you will be glad you listened if you pick an episode at random oh i don't know who you know uh nana asher stated okay mm. oh well she's a woman who ran def jam okay crazy and mm. and you know she has this past you know working in a revolutionary government in grenada and you know all of this crazy stuff so any any person you pick you will find uh, incredible information 
you can find me on Twitter at same old Sean S H A W N a nod to Jay Z. Mm. Um, and you can find me on complex.com. Uh, you can just, you know, find any of my articles and then click on my name and you'll find all of the, everything I've written on there. Okay. Real quick. Shoot. Your, your favorite Hove album. I've got to say the blueprint reasonable doubt is a close second, mm-hmm. but I feel like, uh, I have probably listened to the blueprint more, but very, very close. Very, very close one and two. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, HK underscore Domino. You can follow you can follow the podcast on Twitter as Domino Effect Pod. Uh you can follow us on Instagram, Domino underscore effect underscore pod podcast. Um, let's see, Domino Effect Podcast at gmail.com. Um, check out my other podcast, Three Ninjas Podcast. Uh we just reviewed uh the Infinity War, so check that out. Uh, check out my YouTube page, Round 12 Gaming. Uh, if you're into video games, you go ahead and watch me play a couple things. Um, what else? That's about it. Right, thank thank Sean, you for having me. This was great. Thank you for coming, Sean. I appreciate you. So, one thing's for certain. We're too much for these niggas and three much for these hoes. I'll go by the name of Domino, and we out of here. Domino, motherfucker, what's happening? C'est tout ce qu'on a fait.